What does a sonic map of your environment sound like? What sounds do you imagine? Perhaps it's the sound of native birds singing in the trees overhead. Maybe it's the gentle lapping of waves on eastern or western shores. Maybe it's the sounds of cicadas flooding your ears with high-pitched shrieks. Okay, hopefully it's not that. But maybe there's nothing natural about the sounds you imagine at all. Perhaps to you, your soundscape is more like Duke Ellington's New York City. Quote, a dream of a song, a feeling of aliveness, a rush and flow of vitality that pulses like the giant heartbeat of all humanity. Today, we walk the streets of Harlem together with one of the most influential American composers of all time. I'm Elizabeth Fricke, and this is the Classical Connections Podcast. Kennedy Ellington was born on April 29, 1899, in Washington, D.C., to parents James Edward Ellington and Daisy Kennedy Ellington. The family lived with Daisy's parents, both former slaves, in Washington, D.C.'s West End, at the time described as, quote, the undisputed center of Negro civilization in America, end quote. The small house at 2129 Ida Place, now Ward Place, was constantly filled with music, as both James and Daisy Ellington were pianists. James, a lover of operatic arias, and Daisy, on the other hand, preferred playing parlor songs. At the age of seven, Edward began taking piano lessons from Marietta Klinkscales, and yes, that was her real name. It was only a couple years later when he earned the nickname Duke, or The Duke, from his friend Edgar McKentry, when he began to gain local notoriety for his piano playing at DC venues, like the Poodle Dog Cafe, where he performed his first composition, Soda Fountain Rag. It was in Washington that Duke found himself influenced by music of the previous century. Ragtime, like that of pianist Harvey Brooks and James P. Johnson. Church music. And the classical music that his parents knew and loved. The young Ellington was already being swept into a world of rapidly developing jazz styles, still a relatively new genre at the time. After all, it wasn't until 1912 that the publication of W.C. Handy's Memphis Blues made the standard 12-bar blues a widespread phenomenon. By the time Duke was getting his start as a musician, Dixieland and New Orleans jazz innovators like Jelly Roll Morton had begun touring as vaudeville acts throughout the U.S., in turn inspiring stride pianists like Johnson and Fats Waller to push the boundaries further into more and more orchestral territories. It was in this environment that Duke began composing his own pieces and forming his own dance bands before he had even left high school. 
1917, the Duke's Serenaders formed under his direction, featuring Sonny Greer on drums, Otto Hardwick on alto sax, Arthur Wetzel on trumpet, and Elmer Snowden on banjo. However, between 1914 and 1918, another black cultural center was beginning to blossom in America, as thousands of black workers and dozens of black writers, poets, artists, and musicians fled hostile northern cities in the South with its repressive Jim Crow laws. Many migrated to the Harlem district of New York, paving the way for what would become known as the Harlem Renaissance. In 1923, Duke joined in this exodus when he and his band were offered a four-year engagement at the Hollywood Club. It was from here that Ellington's career truly began to take shape, and in 1926, he signed an agreement with agent and publisher Irving Mills, also an early publisher for Hoagie Carmichael and Dorothy Fields. With Mills, he began to record prolifically for nearly every available label, and while Mills often took co-composer credit, Ellington started to gain public recognition in New York at a rapid pace. Not long after, in 1927, Duke secured an offer to perform regularly for the exclusively white and wealthy clientele of the Cotton Club. Ellington expanded his usual six-part band to the required 11, and with help from the Cotton Club's weekly radio broadcasts, national exposure was given not only to Duke Ellington, but to Harlem as the new voice of the jazz movement. In the words of musicologist Carol J. Oha, Quote, American modernism and the Harlem Renaissance were closely intertwined, perhaps most fundamentally in a shared sense of historic opportunity, end quote. But even on a global scale, modernists of the early to mid 20th century saw New York City as a home for a newly freed artistic aesthetic. Especially for musical modernists such as Aaron Copland and Edgar Varese, the syncopated music of jazz seemed to offer an outlet from the highly structured traditions that they wished to break from. In a career spanning over five decades, Ellington proudly claimed Harlem as his home and inspiration, and over 10 of his titled pieces sport its name including Harlem Flat Blues from 1929, Echoes of Harlem in 1936, A Night in Harlem in 1962, and perhaps most famously, Harlem Airshaft in 1940. Duke Ellington was not the first or the only composer to be inspired by urban spaces, or even the only to be inspired by New York City. Charles Ives's From Hanover Square North, At the End of a Tragic Day, The Voice of the People Again Arose, was composed between 1915 and 1919 after Ives's experience of the public response to the sinking of the RMS Lusitania on May 7, 1915. However, with his music, 
Duke Ellington spoke for a culture that not even later composers like Copeland or Verrez, constructing their visions of New York, could specifically address. Ellington's intimate knowledge of the urban soundscape is perhaps no better represented than in his 1940 piece, Harlem Airshaft. Even the title suggests a distinctly urban experience, the sounds that waft through an airshaft in a city building. As Ellington writes in his own program notes supplied for the piece, so much goes on in a Harlem airshaft. You get the full essence of Harlem in an airshaft. You hear fights, you smell dinner, you hear people making love, you hear intimate gossip floating down, you hear the radio. An airshaft is one great big loudspeaker. Harlem Airshaft presents conversation between characters, the solo trumpet, the brass, the winds, all in a representation of the active, lively energy of Harlem in a perfectly heterogeneous, unconnected connectedness. But as we know, Ellington would go on to musically represent his city in new ways throughout his career. In 1929, the same year that he made his film debut in the short film Black and Tan, Ellington was introduced to Will Votary, a prominent black composer working on Broadway at the time. In his 1946 biography, Barry Ulanov writes, It has become customary to ascribe the classical influences upon Duke, Delius, Debussy, and Ravel to direct contact with their music. Actually, his serious appreciation of those and other modern composers came after he met with Votary. Throughout his career, Ellington was well known for his use of his orchestral palette, manipulation of tone colors, and classical influences. These characteristics are perhaps best traced through his extended 15-minute suite, Harlem, commissioned by the NBC Symphony Orchestra and premiered on January 21st, 1951 at the Metropolitan Opera House. In a 50-year career, Duke Ellington would help develop and define jazz as an art form. But even then, he would eventually decide to drop the word from descriptions of his music, finding it too restrictive for his increasingly lengthy and ambitious creations. Duke Ellington continued both composing and performing music all the way to the end of his life giving his final performance on March 20th, 1974, only two months prior to his death. By the end of his life and career, Ellington was a musical giant, having been awarded 13 Grammy Awards for his recordings, as well as the Medal of Freedom under Richard Nixon in 1966. In 1999, he was posthumously awarded the Pulitzer Prize in Music Composition on the centennial anniversary of his birth. Duke Ellington lived to see a music industry and a city completely transform over the course of nearly six decades. Even at the end of his life and career in the late 1960s and early 1970s, Harlem remained a cultural center for black Americans, as represented by the Harlem Cultural Festival in the summer of 1969. 
It was the Duke that became the master of representing his space through sound. And in representing the space he loved, Duke Ellington and his music have become nearly synonymous with the city itself. As always, if you enjoyed this podcast, or if you have any questions or suggestions, check out IU Classical Connections on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.